This week, let's talk about how financial advice is evolving. We'll look at how to make financial planning more attractive to younger clients, and we'll challenge some of the financial advice being given on TikTok. My guest is Unicia Perrett, and this is episode 291 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. podcast is all about marketing your business and growing your business and for talking about all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a consultant, speaker and trainer from Edinburgh, helping you keep your marketing simple. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. If you enjoy listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast, you might like to check out my book, Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans. It's all about how to put together a simple marketing strategy and how to keep your business simple as you grow. It's available on Amazon as a paperback, hardback and as a Kindle edition. If you want to find out more about the book, go to rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash book. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash book. From time to time, I really like to contrast what's happening in America with what's happening in the UK. Our systems of financial advice and financial services are very similar, but subtly different. And I've been hearing all sorts of stories in the United States recently about how young people are getting financial advice from TikTok and other stories about how financial advice is evolving more into financial coaching. And I'm absolutely delighted that my guest this week is Anicia Perrett, and we're going to have a look at those subjects the evolution of financial advice and financial advice on social media platforms like TikTok. So let's get straight into that interview with Anicia right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Anicia, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Roger, it's such a pleasure to be here with you. Tell me, where are we Zooming each other from? Now, I'm in Edinburgh, Scotland, as always. I am in Atlanta, Georgia, and I think we do have something in common today. We have heavy, heavy overcast. (laughs) It is certainly very heavy overcast today. In fact, we have had a glorious summer here in the United Kingdom. Now, you are the founder of a company which has an extremely interesting name, the Empowered Financial Planner. I'd really like to find out a little bit about how you came up with the idea for this company, indeed, how your career led you to uh, starting this. Um, endeavor. But perhaps we could go right back to the beginning and and learn a little bit about where your career started, how you developed, and and basically what makes you tick. Oh, I love that. Uh, What makes me tick is, we'll start right there, is when I hear individuals saying, I just want it done for me, uh, because there's nothing worse in my mind than somebody else handling um, whatever it is that you're you're looking to do better with, whether it be wealth, finances, health, you name it certain things just cannot be done by somebody else. Not to say that um, we cannot outsource certain components, 
but at the same time, there's an ownership that an empowerment that we need to see for ourselves in whatever category. Um, and that actually takes me right back to uh, when my career really started. Uh, I graduated with a finance degree from the University of Georgia. And uh, very quickly after that, or actually straight out of school, I started my journey in, as a strategy consultant and um, really started uh, focusing in and becoming specialized in the office of the CFO and uh, working with some of the top uh, Fortune 5 500 and name brands in the world, um, particularly helping them optimize their finance function, doing more with less when it came to money, and really increasing their bottom lines. Uh, foreshadowing several years later, my husband and I finally kind of sat down with our own personal finances, and we had that big aha moment that perhaps we didn't do as much or as well as we should have or could have done for ourselves. And what it dawned on us, Roger, was that in part, it was our fault. We were not going to dance around that. But in a big part of it was also the so-called experts that we had on our side or we thought we had on our side that never really took the chance or the time to step back to say, hey, given where you're at, given what you're trying to achieve, here are some of the options you should consider versus we were always kind of sold into specific things. And mm -hmm. when those specific things did not feel right, uh, working 60, 80, sometimes 100 hours a week, there was just a little time to try to figure out the right, wrong, or indifferent, and to dive through and figure out, is this the right thing? Well, we didn't know what our options were. So foreshadowing, I started really geeking out. And um, I started working with individuals more one-on-one. -on -one. And what I discovered was that we were not unique, especially mm -hmm. for high-income earners, um, as well as individuals that have already amassed or have inherited um, some sort of a, of a higher net worth, people are in the same kind of trap. They are relying on other individuals to just quote unquote, again, tell them what to do. And oftentimes they don't even know that they can become empowered. And sometimes they choose not to become empowered because it's so much easier. But because of that, we ended up leaving hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table. And we're seeing, I'm seeing the same exact thing with so many other individuals because of some of those exact pitfalls that they're experiencing without knowing. Now, it's really interesting that you said that, and I'm going to try and pick up on something that uh, you alluded to there. And, and one of the things I love about talking to somebody from the United States is that there are those subtle differences between the way financial services is transacted and regulated in the United Kingdom and the way it's transacted and regulated in the um, in the United States. And sometimes we can learn from each other from the subtle differences in those two regimes. Now, in the UK, predominantly a financial advisor has to do a fairly rigorous, what we call fact find of an individual circumstances. And that will include everything from their their salary, their existing savings and investments, the mortgage they might have on the house or whatever, um, their, their, their entire financial background. And then they have to make specific financial advice tailored to that individual. But you made a reference to there that you felt that you were being sold to as opposed to being advised. Did I pick up that right? Or, or, or was, was, is that actually something that was going on? No, it very much was going on. Mm. We dealt with different individuals. Some were more on the security side. So, you know, everything that dealt with the market and others, others were on the more of the fixed and index or some really, truly life insurance. And depending on what their area of expertise was, it was positioned just very much the same way that, that, you know, you're saying, Roger, it's, it's, this is the recommended approach based on your specific situation, but nowhere in there was, um, was there a discussion of, 
where are we trying to get to? Let's reverse it. And then discussing all of the different options that that we would have had at our disposal, including, for example, non-financial vehicles at all, mm. whether they be traditional or non-traditional. We were very passionate about real estate for many years. And, um, you know, even as as I had started my, my personal uh, corporate career, but that was never part of the topic of conversation. As a matter of fact, we were always kind of shown for for wanting to do real estate because there was always a big because, right? Oh, real estate is great, but... Um, let's talk about all the reasons why it's not good versus if you want to do real estate, let's make sure that you get into any of the traded funds, right? Funds that somebody could quote unquote manage and ultimately get paid for. And what I realized in working with clients was I started realizing that there's so many other individuals that that want to know that they have options. Sure, they're going to have the traditional um, investment types of portfolios, whether it be a, a, a retirement type of a portfolio, uh, whether it be life insurance, whether it be whatever it is. But but sometimes they do want those hard assets. What as a financial expert, I I never heard that from my financial experts. It was all about whatever they had the types of products and the types of services that they had under their purview and on their list of services to sell. Mm -hmm. So you obviously had this epiphany moment when the light bulb went off and you decided after that moment with your husband that you wanted to do something different. So what was the, what was the process after that, that led to you developing the empowered financial planner? Uh, it actually was a very interesting journey. Um, I think I kind of went through that midlife crisis as so many of us do, right? Trying to figure out what we're going to be when we grow up. Um, I uh, had the opportunity to um, truly step into what I had worked on my entire for my entire career, uh, which was a partnership or partnership level um, in strategy consulting. And at that point in time, my husband kind of asked me um, several questions of what are you going to do when? And what it dawned on me was that not only was I not happy with where we were financially, it was not the lack of income. Let me be very clear mm -hmm. on that. It was, it was the lack of strategic planning, the lack of strategic guidance that we had not received. Um, and then the other component was the really the the lack of inherent freedom. Uh, with markets changing, there's, you know, companies always want you to want want us, want you to do more uh with less and for less. And when I looked at that prognosis, um, it was actually my husband who said, hey, uh, for a long time I've been really desiring to bring in kind of a financial advisory platform, a platform where clients could truly feel that they have a financial partner. Mm -hmm. Would you be willing to take a hiatus and help me stand that up? And then you can go continue on with your corporate career. Long story short, uh, Roger, I did that. And when I realized the level of value that I was able to add, not just to the Fortune 500 companies and their bottom lines, but more importantly to the individuals, those individuals that perhaps had to deal with layoffs or at some point in, top, in time would have to deal with, how do I go about life if there is a recession or if I do lose my job or anything like that? How do we help those people. And I fell in love with, with seeing the big ahas, the same types of ahas that we had when we looked at things truly strategically, truly comprehensively from a financial standpoint. And history um, now has it that I've, I've not gone back to my corporate uh, role. I've fallen in love. And I told my husband, I said, this is, this is my baby. This is what 
I want to do because of that value and because of the joy that I see people get on their faces. I think this is really interesting because to me, this is one of the advantages that you have with a strategic background. I, I think quite a lot of financial services planning sometimes can be quite in the moment, can't it? It can be quite tactical. I need a mortgage to buy a house. Okay, we'll sort that out for you. I've just had a baby. I need life insurance for my family. Okay, we'll sort it out for you. It's only really when you get into the realms of, I don't know, pension planning that you start thinking a little bit more strategically, like we need to have a goal in 20 to 30 to 40 years, and we need to create an entire financial plan that starts pointing towards that goal. So I think a lot of financial planning is quite tactical. Um, Do you think that that strategic background that you have has helped you to shape the vision for your business? 100%. As a matter of fact, when I left corporate America, I for all intents and purposes, Roger, I honestly thought that I was leaving my background behind. And it dawned on me, it was just really a few months afterwards when I started um, really understanding kind of how the financial sector works in terms of especially um, the lack of incentivization for for people or, or the lack of encouragement for people to feel like it's okay for them to explore other types of assets and other mm-hmm. types of wealth building tactics that are not necessarily always directly aligned to financial services. And when that happened, there's this big aha that took me right back to to my strategy consulting days. Um, and truly what we do and what I do for my clients, it's not even financial advisor. It's so much more than that. It's I don't call myself a financial advisor. Um, I'm truly a financial expert and a wealth strategist because in order for us to have a strategy, we have to have a very clear understanding of what we're trying to achieve so that we can not only work things backwards and devise a path, but to be able to anticipate the potential pitfalls, which we'll then going to have to circumvent so that individuals, you know, years down the road, don't come back to say, well, you know, I lost a ton in 2008, 2009, or I eliminated all of my savings back then. And I went through the same thing in 2022, 2023, because specifically of that, the lack of true strategy and the lack of true, um, true vision when it comes to long-term um, financial independence. I like, I like the way you describe yourself there as a wealth strategist. Again, there are these subtle differences between the two countries. But again, I've, I've, I've heard a lot of financial advisors in the United Kingdom are slightly just moving away from calling themselves financial advisors. They're, they're, they're more in the space of calling themselves financial coaches. It's almost like, yeah, you know, there's a there's a, an emotional element to financial planning as well, which has to take account of people's desires and people's beliefs and people's goals for the future. And sometimes those those goals and those desires can be outside of the of the fin- the current financial um, constraints, I guess. But it's quite interesting to see that that these these trends are happening, and we are perhaps moving away from the traditional financial advisor, but we're widening widening the role out to include strategy and to include um, coaching as well. We have to another another component to that mix, which um, is is really truly more left out more than. I care to even think about is is the component of you know how does a client integrate their overall financial positioning 
a, a monster financial team, right? Um, mm-hmm. Everything from the quote unquote financial advisor to the banker, to the mortgage lender, to the um, insurance provider, to the um, uh, to the CPA, the attorney, perhaps. There are so many entanglements, especially mm-hmm. for individuals that are either successful business owners and or they are high income earners because there are specific things that they have to be aware of. And it's not enough to just follow what one or another person might say. We truly have to have that empowerment. Um, Hence, going back to the name of the company, the Empowered Financial Planner, not to say that people have to be their own planners, but if they are not empowered, they will not understand what in the world planning even means. And we would never want somebody to just say, hey, just, just get it done for me, right? We've seen what that looks like and it doesn't look pretty for people. Okay, I'd like to talk about what happens when people effectively make contact with you and what the processes that you take them through to enable them to become empowered financial planners. But perhaps before we get to that, as this is the marketing and finance podcast, could you give me a little bit of a feel for how you promote your business, how you prospect for clients and how you attract them to your um, to your business. And obviously you have a website, you're, you're, you're obviously on the social medias and, and, and that sort of thing. But what, what are you doing to attract clients and, and, and effectively signpost to them that you are different to other financial advisors? That's a very good question, Roger. We um, we try to be very agile with what's happening in the market. There is a lot of noise, of course, mm-hmm. when it comes to marketing on especially the social media platforms. We're seeing less and less of a penetration there. People have um, less and less of an attention span to ads and, and things like that. And I'm, I'm very humble to say that really most of, if not all of our clients have come to us through some form or of a referral or another, um, either from existing clients or from some of our strategic partners, because we do, uh, we're very selective in choosing who our strategic partners are um, to make sure that when we do speak with individuals, we are speaking with the individuals that are well qualified to um, come on board and work with us. Um, who are our specific clients? Um, as I said earlier, is um, high income individuals, individuals that um, combine we're looking at at least 150 to $200,000. Um, the reason for that is you mentioned it also earlier, it's a mindset shift. Mm. Oftentimes people do not feel that they should invest in themselves. Free is good. Free is good, but at what cost? Are we truly counting pennies to um, to be losing dollars um, or pounds, right? Yeah. And so um, the as far as our, our channels and, and kind of how we market, uh, we've try different sorts of advertisements just to look at how things are, but we've never relied on advertising really at all for that for that uh, purpose uh, or for that, those reasons that I mentioned earlier. Uh, a big part that also happens is sp- uh, public speaking engagements and um, conferences, really where individuals get to experience firsthand and to learn about some of the things that they could be doing differently. And then it leads very easily to conversations because they automatically know that, hey, I need more. And when they know that they need more, that's probably a good time for us to talk. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with referrals at all. I think um, it's one of the foundations of financial planning across the world, I think. And I think it's easy these days to think, oh, do you know what? We can easily do some social media marketing. We can easily do some email marketing. We can easily do some Google ads or whatever it is. But let's face it, this is a people business. And you are as well talking about 
you know, um, quite a large sum of money um, over the course of the relationship. So you do want to have a relationship, a close relationship with the clients over a long period of time. And therefore, the power of the referral just fits with that model. Um, so, so, you know, a lot of people keep telling me, oh, refer- referrals is old hat. You need to do more content. You need to get on the socials. But the reality is, you know, put some effort into asking the clients you're already working with to refer people to you and beyond their networks. And and it's still a very, very powerful model. So let's imagine that somebody's found you or been referred to you um, or they've seen some content, they've seen you speak, they've talked to you on LinkedIn. What's the process that you take them through which makes you stand out and, and enables them to become empowered financial planners? Absolutely. So generally, there's going to be a uh, quick introduction slash discovery call to figure out, first of all, who who each other are, right? They're going to know about us, but we probably don't know as much about them uh, to try to understand kind of what they're trying to achieve. What are their um, overarching objectives and goals, at least at a, at a highest of levels? And then only after that, only after we identified that we would be a potential good fit, do we start talking about where, uh, where potentially they might fit when it it comes to the service offerings that we have and um, where, where, what may be the best option for them. Um, at that point in time, we would have a follow-up call to go through that process. And it's a very transparent process. And it's, it's a process that actually empowers, yet again, the client to make the decision. It's very easy because we, we know, I know generally after the discovery call, kind of where a person will end up. But I want them to have the full confidence that this is the right thing for them and that they feel good with where they're at. Um, and then if if we decide that the client would be a good fit for us and vice versa, then they would uh, be extended an invitation to join us as part of our consulting program. And then as we start working together, we truly get into not only uncovering the kind of the trivial, where is the money, the mortgage, the credit card debt, how do we structure that and all that. But before we ever ever really talk about even options, we get down and dirty to what is it that we're trying to achieve. And that's where it becomes, it's personal. People have fun with it. Oftentimes, um, you know, people have this perspective that, oh gosh, it's, you know, I'm talking about my finances. It feels wrong. Our process is one where people truly, the feedback that we've gotten is they've had fun with it. Mm -hmm. They, and the reason for that is because it's truly customized. The experience is truly, truly customized to the individual, number one. And number two, oftentimes people have found money that they didn't know existed, Mm -hmm. whether it be in the form of true money that was hiding in accounts that they had forgotten about. I know, shocker, right? (laughs) Or um, money in the form of potential revenue that they're leaving on the table because it is a consulting um, type of an engagement. And we do talk about just really just about everything that that the client is dealing with and sometimes you know we unlock additional sources of of revenue or income for the client and that's that's just beautiful when it does happen it sounds to me that to a certain extent you feel a bit like an educator as well as somebody who's helping people to plan and I, I guess the more knowledge that you can impart upon people, the more empowered, and that fits with with the, with the title of the business, obviously, the more empowered they feel to make the decisions collectively with you, as opposed to maybe just being given a list of recommendations. So how, how much education do you feel that you're you're giving your customers and your clients as you, as you t- take them through the process? It's funny that we should call it education because it is that, Roger, but what I found is that people don't want to be educated. It's no. a very interesting paradigm. 
they don't want to learn. They just, again, they want somebody to just do it for them. And my philosophy is, is there are those people that will just do it for them. But even when we're looking at what's happening with the market, those are the individuals that experienced the highest losses mm-hmm. versus individuals that are empowered and, and specifically leveraging our approach is it's not just what Unicia says, it's what do the experts say? Mm-hmm. And depending on the client specific in, in uh, a situation, they will actually get to be introduced to experts in the specific areas that they're most passionate about. So they'll have a very keen understanding of, hey, I've got options. For the first time ever, most people go, oh my God, I, I never thought about all of these things. Maybe I knew about a handful of them, but I never knew that they can potentially be integrated and that there's so much more even beyond that. And so um, the power lies not just in them um, starting to gain that understanding uh, and become empowered, but it's also in the collaboration with those experts that are truly genuinely experts in their fields. We're not, um, I don't, try to pretend to be a jack of all trades because then I would become a master of none. Mm. What we are at the core of what we do, we truly are quarterbacks for our clients when it comes to their overall financial endeavors, because we truly become their, their, their financial partners, um, helping them bridge the gap between the different areas of money in their life and or their business. And you said before, of course, that these days a lot of people are are looking outside what we would traditionally term to be financial services. So beyond the mortgage, beyond pensions, beyond savings and investment, you mentioned real estate. Yes, that's that's very important for a lot of people. But of course, one of the things we hear so much about these days, and you, you probably hear about this more in the States than we do in the UK, because we are often lag a, a year or two behind the, the, the States when it comes to things like this. But I'm hearing more and more and more about crypto, you know, and even more I'm hearing about NFTs. What, what's your view on all of that? Because it certainly seems to be very, very topical at the moment. And I know a lot of people have put a lot of money into it. And I know, unfortunately, a lot of people have lost a lot of money. And crypto is not regulated in the UK, and I'm pretty sure it's not regulated in the US. So how are these new these new areas that people might want to talk about and people might want to invest in, how are they starting to fit into what you do? Well, we have to acknowledge them, right? Because people have different philosophies, they have different needs and desires, and uh, whether it be crypto or real estate or whatever else it might be, um, it's important for them to know that, hey, those are options, but mm. some come obviously with more risks than others. Um, there's also the component of, of you know, you're talking about regulation. And um, earlier today, I was listening to um, someone that's pretty prominent in the, um, in the crypto world. And one of the things he was mentioning was, um, it's not just about the cryptos. It's, it's, should you trade them or should you just acquire them? Should yeah. you hold them? What about... What about control? What about potentially losing control? And oftentimes that's an area that way too many people don't really think about. Um, of course, I was born in, and raised in a, in a communist country, and I know what it means for people to lose control. I heard it from my grandparents. I, I heard it from my parents. I saw inflation going through the roof, experienced some of those things even as a young child, and they left a big imprint on me so that you know when people don't think about those things, those are some of the things that we bring to their awareness they need to be thinking about because we don't, we certainly don't know what the future holds, uh, but being able to be diversified and um, have even that understanding, uh, which in some cases, you know, crypto still provides because of de- de- decentralization um, is wonderful. It gives people uh 
you know, peace of mind and, and an ability to, to feel good about where, you know, their future may be because they know that God forbid something goes south in a major way, they've got something to, to back them up. Yeah. And I guess crypto is just like anything, isn't it? Different people see it in a different way. For some people, it genuinely is a different currency in the same way as the great British pound and the United States dollar. It's just another form of currency. But for others, it's a very short term speculative way, hopefully, of making an absolute stack of cash. And and for those people, there is the you know, the opposite risk of, of losing an absolute stack of cash at the same time. And then there will be others who maybe see it more as a, as a sort of long-term part of a portfolio alongside unit trusts or, or investment funds or whatever it might be. So again, I think everything has its place. But as you would expect, what we read about and what we see on social media are often the most extreme ends of the scale. So we hear most about the people who are trying to make the quick bucks and maybe you know, running away with NFTs of bored apes that are worth billions of dollars. And then the next minute they're only worth 50 cents. Um, I'm embellishing that a little bit, but you, but you know what I mean. And, and I think that what goes hand in hand with some of these emerging uh, financial instruments is the amount of people who can suddenly become experts in the subject you know how many podcasts are out there now about how to buy nfts how many podcasts are out there about how to um how to manage crypto and people are even going and getting advice from tiktok um, I, I read an article recently that now says that tiktok is, is 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 surpassing google as being one of the sources for younger people of of, of knowledge um how do you feel as a as a financial planner and more as a strategist, I guess, who's always going to think long term. How do you feel about that side of things? The fact that financial advice is perhaps becoming unofficially deregulated and, and people who have no experience probably can suddenly call themselves an advisor just by sticking a mobile phone in front of the face and uploading it to a few social media channels. Oh, I think you've nailed it on its head, Roger, honestly. Um I've had clients in the past who would send me, you know, TikTok videos and would say, Hey, can we talk about this? What's your perspective? And, you know, when, when I see those things out there as well, you're so right. There are individuals who, if you truly were to dig into their background, they have no inkling when it comes to anything financial, but somehow, some way they came into some idea and they overnight became experts in it. And that that's all they seem to talk about, but just because they talk about an idea or a strategy or something that that they think will sell out there does not necessarily mean that that is the right or the wrong thing for for anybody out there listening to them. The I think a, lot, a big part and a big um, risk factor, the biggest risk factor that most individuals don't consider is again um, they might hear one person or another talking about this or that strategy, this or that you know potential investment, but what about the broader picture? Mm that specific thing, it might have its merit, but it might be a small subset of what any one given individual should be focusing on. So why is it that so many people are so drawn just because it's TikTok and to your, to your point, you know, somebody's okay sticking their phone in their face and, you know, going on and on about specific things. It seems to be selling, but also when we look at what's happening with individuals, those that have experienced the hardest financial hardships were those that listened to single sources of truth mm. without doing their due diligence, without understanding what their overall end-to-end option spectrum was. And because of that, they ended up being in 
probably not the most ideal of situations, which is exactly where you know, I always talk about clients need to get empowered. People need to be empowered to understand how those particular strategies may fit into their specific strategic long-term plan. That's really insightful. That whole idea that the people who've perhaps been disadvantaged the most are those who've listened to one source of information. One of the things, again, that I suppose thinking about something like TikTok is a younger audience. And this is one of the things that really fascinates me about financial services, again, across the world. And for many, many years, as a marketing director in financial services in the United Kingdom, one of the questions I often wrestled with was, how can we make financial services more attractive to younger people? Because younger people don't want life insurance. The first-time buyer is now into the late 20s, early 30s before they start thinking about buying a house and, and needing a mortgage. And yet the industry keeps saying, how can we attract younger people? And I just sometimes, I suppose when I left big corporate and became a consultant, maybe I came to the conclusion, do you know what? Maybe younger people, we should just leave them alone. We should try, we shouldn't try to convince them that they need protection. We shouldn't try and convince them saving and investing. Although, of course, I believe people should be saving all the time. But what, what's your view on that? Do you think we should we should just alter our uh, approach to the way things happen? It's a good question, Roger. And it's a good question. I ponder on it because when I first started working with individuals, I was so, um, I was so infatuated with with the big ahas that I had seen and with the with all the blind spots that I saw the financial services um, actually um, exposes people to when it comes to their money that I thought everyone needs to hear this. Everyone like young, old, middle-aged, everyone needs to understand these concepts. But what I found is that most people, especially the younger generation, the last thing they wanted to do is to listen to some middle-aged person give yeah. them advice, right? And so because of that, they just do what they do and they're going to do what they do. And there's going to be that day of reckoning, just like I had mine and others have had theirs where they go, oh my gosh, if I would have just paused and listened to that person who was trying to tell me this 10, 15 years ago, I would have been so much further ahead. And what I think it boils down to is not necessarily leaving them behind. Mm. But at the same time, like for example, in my situation, we do not actively uh, market or target the younger audience. Why? Because their mindset just isn't there. Mm. Does that mean that we don't have younger clients? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, we have several uh, clients that are in their late 20s, um, early 30s, and they're doing exceptionally well for themselves. And because of the kind of empowerment and those big ahas that they've gone through, as part of us working together, they were able to come back to our conversations to say, you know, Unicia, I never thought this these particular strategies could somehow work for me because of all of the negative talk that perhaps they might have heard out there on the internet, just because, you know, some smart person chooses to say you were talking about life insurance, right? Life insurance is bogus. You should never do this. You should always go into this, that, and that type of an investment. Well, we could arguably say that financial advisor can we can we argue to say that they're selling? Of course they are. They're not just selling, but they're bashing the other part of the industry that they don't want people to go towards. Why? Because they want to attract the clients to themselves. Our philosophy, my philosophy is that, again, whether they're young or they're older, it has they have to have that desire to want to do better for their financial independence, for their financial outlook. And when they do and they seek that, then they become 
a ripe client to work with because they're wanting it. But if they don't want it, we can't force anyone just because we think it. they need to know it. I think that that's that's sound advice. That's sound advice. And I think that's where I'd got to. Anissia, it's been really fascinating talking to you today, and we could probably carry on talking for quite a while. And there's quite a few questions which I was going to ask you, which I haven't got round to. But there's one question that I always ask guests on the Marketing and Finance podcast, and that's what is the one big thing that you've learned from building the Empowered Financial Planner from your uh, past career and your academic background as a strategist, what's the one big thing you'd like the listeners of the show to take away from all your experience? It would be being open-minded, really being open-minded to see the opportunities, being open-minded when the opportunity comes to you. Oftentimes the opportunity opportunity comes knocking in different forms and uh, we may or may not recognize what they are, but you know, listen to your gut instinct. If your gut instinct tells you we could potentially be doing better, um, it could be an opportunity that that in itself could be something that you need to to follow up on to um, to dig deeper in to make sure that you're not um, you're not somehow leaving something of value behind. And it it's true on a personal note. It's true from a business standpoint. Um, of course, the strategy background has enabled me to do what very few people would be willing and able to do because of the complexities that I've gone through for so many years uh, back to back to back. But when it came to my personal business, um, I had to be very open-minded just the same um, because if I hadn't been, a lot of the strategic partnerships that are adding so much value to our clients would have never developed frankly. Um, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of, um, it's a lot of emotional, um, right. It's a lot of, um, oftentimes looking in the mirror and, and saying, Hey, I truly, I'm the best person at making those connections. I'm not the best person in XYZ field and, and feeling, finding the confidence in, in creating those introductions and creating the, the opportunities, but I wouldn't have been able to get there personally, if it hadn't been for the open-mindedness. And I'm hoping that people listening to the show are going to want to get in touch with you, Anissia. So tell me, what is the best way that people should find you? Uh, they can easily go to any one of the links that you'll be including in the show notes, or uh, they can seek us out on our website, which is we're in the process of updating. Uh, it's www.empoweredfinancialplanner.com. Or you can find us on social media, uh, particularly to, be, to make it easiest under uh, my name, Eunicia Perrette, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. We're there. Message us. We'd love to hear from you, hear what you're, uh, what, what you're thinking of when it comes to your financial independence and seeing if we may be able to be of assistance. Fantastic. Unicia, thank you so much for coming on to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. I've really enjoyed our chat. Let me wish you every success for the future. And it's been about 20 years since I've been to Atlanta, so I'm well overdue a return visit. So if I do get back over there, I'll look you out and we can have a coffee together. And indeed, if you fancy coming to another country with dark skies uh, and grey skies, then please do search for me in Edinburgh and we'll have a coffee in Edinburgh instead. Absolutely. Well, Roger, looking forward to it on both fronts. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends and colleagues and consider leaving me a review on iTunes. Until the next episode, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.